The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to discuss what it means to be an influencer in the MarTech industry. Joining us is Neil Schaefer, who is a social media strategy consultant, speaker, and the author of four books, including his recently published Age of Influence, the definitive playbook for influencer marketing. Neil has spoken at hundreds of events on four continents and also teaches digital and social media marketing to executives at the Rutgers School of Business and the Irish Management Institute. He is also the host of the very useful Maximize Your Social Influence podcast. And today, Neil and I are going to discuss building a personal brand that scales and monetizes. Okay, here's my conversation with Neil Schaefer, the CEO and Principal Social Media Strategy Consultant at PDCA Social. Neil, welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Thanks, Benjamin. It's an honor to be here. I have a funny story for you. Hey, it's very exciting to have you here And one of the reasons, not that social influence is the only thing we think about when we are inviting guests to be on our podcast, but right when you reached out and asked if we would be willing to have you on our show, we were in the midst of building an algorithm to evaluate how much social syndication a potential guest can provide us. And so we put this scoring mechanism together that looks at the LinkedIn followers, the Twitter followers, what your domain score is, a couple you know, other variables that kind of prioritize the different weights that we had. And I kept looking at this algorithm. We were trying to get it on a 100-point score, and I had to redo the algorithm like three times because there was this one guy named Neil Schaefer who constantly had a score of like 200. <laughs> I couldn't figure out how to change our variables to get everybody within this 100 points. Everybody else that's reached out is on a 100-point score. Neil, your score is 237, which means you're a big deal to us. You're a big deal in the marketing industry. First off, congratulations and thank you for being our guest. Not to kiss your butt too much, but second off, how does that happen? How do you build such a gigantic social following? Let's talk a little bit about you know your makeup and your business. Start off at the beginning. When did you get started in influencership? Thank you, Ben. There's a lot we could talk about how you construct that algorithm and, and cloud scores of the past. And then you might have someone with a lower score, but if you provide them the right creatives, they might actually outperform bigger influencers and bigger followings. But anyway, I don't want to digress there. 
I started in social media back in 2004. I became one of the first million users on LinkedIn. I happened to be in B2B technology, primarily sales, but also marketing biz dev. So that really started the journey. But it was really, you know, I have a unique story because I started my career in Asia. So when I had my first child, we moved back to the United States. And soon thereafter, I was in transition for the first time here with no local network. My career was in Asia. I went to University of Massachusetts. I'm from Southern California, but all of my friends went to Berkeley and stayed in the Bay Area. And they weren't in my industry either. So I'm sitting there in 2008 thinking, I need to get out there network, but I don't even know where to start. And that's where I began to spend more time on LinkedIn specifically. And it was very interesting because LinkedIn then, since we're talking about algorithms, if you had the most connections and you had something like B2B sales executive for the Japanese market, and you did a search for that, you would actually end up being number one in the search results on LinkedIn because it was in descending order of number of connections. So I thought this is pretty incredible. So I just started doing more networking on LinkedIn and I participated in forums like LinkedIn Answers that used to be there. And I ended up finding my job. And it was that day where I actually launched a blog, which I did on LinkedIn as well, because they used to have these apps that they supported. And one was WordPress.com. And that's really how it all started, literally July of 2008 with the blog, which was just focused on LinkedIn. And three and a half months later, we had the Lehman Brothers crash and the company I worked for decided to completely discontinue international sales operations. And that's when I started to get fuller and fuller into it. That blog ended up becoming a book in 2009, which led to speaking opportunities. And you know, a decade ago in January 2010, distinctly over two weeks, I remember I had four different companies, four different industries here in Southern California, all wanting help with social media, but not knowing what to do, not knowing what they didn't know. And that's where, because my background is more on that B2B sales side, I don't have an agency background. I began as a consultancy, not an agency, and really helping companies with their strategy. And now in my second decade, and obviously what I do has grown, but those were the beginnings. It's funny, you know, as I'm thinking about your path to becoming an influencer, it actually sounds somewhat similar to my path in becoming a marketing consultant. And really, that was your goal is, hey, I'm looking for a job. I need to build some influence and make some connections. And eventually, you know, work dries up. You got to go out and hang your own shingle and find work yourself. I went from my last startup and said, I just want to take on some short-term projects. And those short-term projects just kept coming in. And then I transitioned into what I consider a content business, you know, creating the podcast, but really it is in some way about building personal influence. I understand how you started cultivating a following, you're building connections on LinkedIn, you're writing a blog, you're showing up first in the algorithm. You also have a following of, and I have your webpage in front of me, 42,000 LinkedIn followers. I thought they capped it at 30,000. So 42,000 seems like a surprising number to me. But then I'm looking at some of the other social followings that you have of 200,000 people on Twitter, 35,000 on Pinterest, 16 on Instagram, 40,000 on Facebook, and then 305 followers on YouTube. Talk to me about, you know, when you think about building influence, how do you think about the various channels and, and why did you build a following on all of these channels as opposed to just focus in on one specific vertical? Yeah, that actually goes back to continuing my story. So I finished writing this LinkedIn book. I finished the rough draft in March 2009. And I realized that Outside of LinkedIn, there were other social media that were growing, specifically Twitter and Facebook. So I joined Twitter in the fall of 2008. March 2009, I sort of flipped the switch on Facebook as more and more non-university students were beginning to use it. And I actually really fell in love with Twitter. 
And that's where I ended up spending more time on Twitter than on LinkedIn. And LinkedIn underwent some changes as well. But when I launched my consultancy, I realized that I have the opportunity to be like the one trick pony for LinkedIn. And there are some like me that chose that path. So I had the handle like LinkedIn Prince. I was sort of playing around with the idea, but it just bored me, number one. I thought it was limiting being caged in like that. And number two, I thought it was unfair to my clients because the clients that reach out to me have business problems. I don't want to force them all on the LinkedIn if that's not the best solution. It's all about best practices, right? So I realized that I had to really learn the entire scope of what is possible in social media by being somewhat active on all these different channels. YouTube is the one that unfortunately I haven't done as much, but I have a plan to do more on that this year. And that's really what it's been about. So it's funny, in an age where they tell you to niche down, I went the opposite way, right? But that was more pragmatic for me because, like I said, my whole idea of working with clients is it can be as short-term or as long-term as you want. You own the relationship. I'm here to help in a variety of patterns. And it's really about, like I said, best practices. I'm not going to force you. Like, it's all about LinkedIn. I'll never forget back in the early days, and I'll end with this comment, Benjamin, but it's very similar because we've seen Google Plus and StumbleUpon. I'll never forget back in like 2010, there were two millennials talking about Foursquare. And someone raised their hand. So why do I have to be on Foursquare? And they said, well, you just have to be on Foursquare. So some consultants get so into the social network that they're proficient in, and they become so emotionally attached that they fail to have this holistic perspective, which my experience in Asia and, and everything I do with businesses is at a very, very holistic level. We first decide holistically, then we go strategically and tactically in those networks that make sense. So that whole one trick pony sort of niche, only one network to me was just not realistic with the needs of businesses. And I think that over the course of 10 years and seeing social networks come and go, that I think you'd agree. So we're going to get into the differences between some of the social networks in our next episode. But today, I want to really focus on how you developed your business and your brand. You did decide to spread broadly, and you've been successful cultivating a following on all of these different channels. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know. Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi, who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. <laughs> 
what was the way or are there common themes that you've seen that have helped you grow influence in various channels? Is there something that you could do across all channels or are there very different strategies for each one? Well, looking back at it, Benjamin, the way that I look at it now and the way that I consult with people and companies, there's three main types of content. And first of all, influence derives from content. When we think of influencers, we think of people that are creating content. The content might be text-based, which is on a blog, on a website. It might be video, which we see on YouTube, or it might be photographs, which we used to see on Flickr, but we see a lot more on Instagram, but really throughout social media, or it could be audio-based, and these are podcasts. So I think it really first starts with what is your strength? What do you feel most comfortable in? What best represents who you are? To me, that was text. So I started with a blog. There are others that are primarily podcasters because they're speakers or they're very comfortable. There are others that are YouTubers, right? Yeah, I can't spell it all. That's how I ended up doing this. Okay. So, I mean, you have to find where, I'm not going to call it a zone of genius, but really where you feel most comfortable, passionate, because the other part about this, Benjamin, I have people coming up to me, how do you get so many Twitter followers? And they just joined last week. I'm like, dude, I've been on this for more than a decade. So it takes time, right? All of this takes time. But with consistency of content creation and content sharing and engagement, and there are various ways of engaging with other people, really using the platforms as they were intended to be used, you can grow that following. Now, how influential you become, there's different sorts of curves that you have based on a lot of different factors. Some of it's luck, some of it's timing, some of it's your content, some of it's your following. But those are the basic components. And that's why you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, at the early days, it was all text content based. Now, obviously, as they've gone more photographic, I've spent more time in Instagram and probably spent as much time in Instagram these days as Twitter, LinkedIn. And I started a podcast as well back in 2013. For me, video is sort of the final frontier because there's a lot of tools that do this repurposing of content. And for me to just upload an audio episode of my podcast to YouTube, with a static image while someone listens for 20 minutes is probably not the way that YouTube was intended to be used. And it's probably when you compare it with other YouTubers, it's probably not going to be very engaging content. So I don't do it. And I really want to make something that's just for YouTube if I want to do YouTube, just like I used to live stream my podcast interviews and I stopped doing it because whenever I'd call out someone on the live stream, the people listening to the podcast would go, well, who the heck is that? I don't see that person. Why is he even bringing this up? So part of it is really going deep in the platform, being true to that platform. And really, once you get one platform right, which I did with LinkedIn, I went to Twitter. Once I felt I got Twitter right, I went to another. And it's the exact same strategy I use with clients, right? Don't do them all. Start with one or two, A-B test. And once you have a working role model, you translate that to the next one and you tweak. So as you've decided to bolt on additional social networks to build influence for your business, that means that you're constantly taking on a larger operation. Talk to me about scaling this. You're obviously just one man, very competent, very successful, but there's only 24 hours in a day and you only have two thumbs. So how are you able to constantly post content on all of these channels and continue to learn about the new channels? You have to be outsourcing something. What's the breakdown to actually be able to publish great content across all the channels? You know, Benjamin, it really comes down to people process tools, right? So like yourself, I have been a big fan and user of various technology tools for the last decade as well. And I'm not going to lie when I say that that is definitely the tools help you scale. But more than that, it's the process. And I am what you would call more of an architect. Like I don't want to do the YouTube videos without really having that process in place that's going to allow me to really do that on a regular basis to build my influence in a systematic way. So you need to have a process and you need to find the tools that meet the process. A lot of mistakes that marketers make with the tools is the tools define the process and you're not always successful. 
So you have a process, you start yourself and it's like, well, okay, here's the process that I want to replicate. What are the tools out there that might make it easier for me to do that? And then what are the human labor aspects of what I do that I might be able to outsource to other people? Now, I think 10 years ago, for those that read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, it was all about finding the single virtual assistant or the single marketing assistant. And I think with the global economy, you know, I have a person that I've been working with for a long time. All she does is Pinterest images because she does them really well. I've tried working with one person that does a lot of little things, and I would rather work with various experts in specific areas that allow me to scale it. It requires a little bit more management from the personnel side, but if you have the process in place and things like Slack offer really, really excellent ways of communicating, once you put the system in place, I know it sounds a little bit complicated, but you find that magical combination of you owning the strategy, the process system, the tools, and obviously that content creation the magical things that make you what your brand is, while being able to outsource some of the more menial tasks that help make sure that when I publish a blog post, there's going to be a pin created, it's going to go out to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, it's going to be SEO optimized, and what have you. I know it sounds confusing, but it's really coming down to if we want to be good at something, whether it's a network or it's creating content, you know, podcast is a great example. So I hired someone to get my podcast set up. Turns out that person's also a podcast editor. I focus on just recording and I send the files off to the podcast editor. It's something very common in the industry. I don't spend two hours in GarageBand trying to edit this. I send it off, done. I need a new intro, outro. I go to Fiverr, done. So I would much rather hire people that are experts and pay a little bit more money because it's going to save me even more money and it's going to allow me to continue with the process and the system. Right. So you are essentially managing the freelance and outsource team. You're building the process. You're architecting the MarTech stack, for lack of a better term. And then you're also doing the creative strategy as well. And everything else, you know, all the operational stuff, you're outsourcing. Yes, because in 2016, when my first strategy consulting client, I mean, for the first time said, Neil, we want to implement what you said. We don't have the resources. Can you implement this for us? I looked around at my staff and the tools and the processes, and I'm like, okay, now I'm just going to basically duplicate this and use the same staff that I've fostered and trained for my own brand and now use this for other brands. And that's how my agency really started, was just utilizing the resources all around me. So yes, and in fact, I would say, just like the early days, I'll never forget one of my friends here at the Orange County Transportation Authority in California, You know, he worked in PR, they weren't allowed to do Twitter. But he knew that Twitter was going to be important as a public communication channel. So he did it on his own. He experimented with his dog to try to figure it out. And I think a lot of marketers over the time, when their brands haven't given them approval for a channel or they just want to experiment with it, they'll do it with their own personal brand or with one of their pets. So I think leveraging your personal brand to experiment with networks and the functionality and tools is a really, really great way to start to build that influence. And you never know where that's going to take you, which was the case in my history. Yeah, it's funny, you know, having gone down this path and a lot of what your process is are, are things that we stumbled in into here at the MarTech podcast. I've always said, hey, I'm going to go just work on something that I think is interesting, hand it to, you know, somebody on my team. Generally, it's my head of content operations, and he documents it and figures out how to do it at scale. Sounds like you have a very similar process. And I think one of the things when we talk about building influencer businesses and content businesses that rely on a personal brand, and in your case, it's a personal brand, it's a consultancy, it's an agency, you also have all of these books, is people don't understand how to monetize personal influence. Talk to me a little bit about what you've learned about getting from, okay, I have these people listening to me on all of these social media channels to actually building a profitable and sustainable business. 
there are a lot of mistakes I've made along the way that I continue to make, which is lack of products. So I have services, right? So if you're going to build a personal brand, you think about monetizing it, how can businesses engage with you? Do you have a products page or a services page on your website? A lot of people would just go out there, don't really think about that or don't have that. So you can buy my book for $25 or $20 on Amazon, and then you can hire me as a consultant, which then gets at least into the thousands of dollars, and there's nothing in between. So I think that understanding your audience and building products and services that meet them, for me, it was more of that B2B you know, consulting strategy and then agency model that worked. But I know that there's a lot of marketers, small business owners, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs that would love to get access to me that I really need to create those products and services for that others have created. And I'm, I'm thinking more like digital products and services, you know, membership sites, what have you, courses. And there's a huge economy there that I really haven't taken advantage of. It's one of the things that we're actively working on at the MarTech podcast, you know, moving the, depending on how long of a time frame, the five to 25,000 people that are going to listen to our show and not just having them listen, but having them engage in a community and figuring out a monetization model around that. You know, you just mentioned, hey, you can be a service provider, courses. You also have done speaking engagement. What are some of the other monetization paths that you've seen influencers use? There are a number. Obviously, it begins with consulting. And you might say, I consider consulting more by project. I consider coaching more by the hour. Mm-hmm. Then you have sort of like this fractional CMO type of business model where you're actually in their office, where you're you know, actively training, working together. So that's three right there. You have webinars or virtual events. You have live events. You have corporate trainings. So that's six. You then have things like advertising. If you have a website that gets a lot of traffic, from that, you have things like affiliate marketing. You then might have an influencer marketing stream. You obviously then have digital courses. That's 10. I would say membership sites are a little bit different because they require you on a regular basis to be active. So I'd consider that 11. And creating your own product. So there are some, I guess, drop shipping is one in the B2C space, but actually creating your own product, working with a brand that says, hey, I want to resell your things, but I want to do it with my own brand. If you're like an Instagram beauty influencer, that makes a lot of sense. So And then you can create your own event, which I had an event called the Social Tools Summit a few years ago. And I had sponsors that said, we want to sponsor this event because we consider it our influencer marketing with you as the influencer. And we want to tap into your audience through your event. That's 14 different things that you may be able to monetize your experience and IP with. Neil, I feel like we just figured out what the blog post that we should co-write together is the 14 different ways to monetize your influencer business. I will have our editor start working on it and we'll send it over to you. Awesome. You've obviously been incredibly successful, not only as a consultant, but building influence. And so I appreciate you walking us through your story and talking to us about how you've built a process and scaled your business and figured out monetization. Tomorrow, we're going to come back and continue the conversation. I want to talk to you a little bit more broadly about the influencer landscape. So can we have you come back on the show one more time? It'd be an honor. Awesome. Okay, let's wrap it up today. That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Neil Schaefer, CEO and Principal Social Media Strategy Consultant at PDCA Social for joining us in part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow. Neil and I are going to be talking about the technology landscape for influencer marketing. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to hear more about Neil, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You're probably already a connection with him on LinkedIn. He's got plenty of them. You can contact him on Twitter. He's got even more of those followers. His handle is Neil Schaefer, N-E-A-L-S-C-H-A-F-F-E-R. Or you could visit his company's website, which is neilschaefer.com. 
Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is Ben J. Shap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.